So, last week we uh, started in Hebrews chapter 10 to kind of set us up for Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we'll get to get to that study in, in just a second and that review in just a second. Um, but I also think, uh, what are things, what's something that you are naturally skeptical of? Something that you're naturally skeptical of. What's that? The, the news. Okay. The news. Quick fixes and what? In health. Okay. Uh, websites are notorious on, on baiting you with that. Lose weight in three days. Gain it back in So the news, weight loss, health. Return on investment if you do this. Return on investment if you do this. Okay. Quick. So again, the, the government. The government. The Falcons have the king Super Bowl winning. <laughs> 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 this, this. Failure sports. What did you say, Lisa? Unrecognized phone numbers. Unrecognized phone numbers. <laughs> Especially from another state? Yeah. Or, or more so? I, I hate to say it, but it's too often, too. I mean, in all seriousness, it's just people who claim to be Christians. Oh, that's a... Yeah, we don't need you to name names in here. So, so, so give me your list later. <laughs> Airbnb rentals. Uh, did you get a bad experience or? Okay. You get money back. So, all right. <laughs> I was like, Sarah and I had a decent experience. So, although I have heard of people who have gone to their place and it didn't exist, so uh, mine existed. It's just the host would never return a message to me or call me uh, after after after. Then I finally found the number, and they finally called me. We don't have our place for rent. <coughs> Whoa! Is a Airbnb the new Craigslist? Probably. You guys remember Craigslist? How could God do something like that? Contractors. Okay. So. Real estate agents. All right. All right. <laughs> so. So not anybody in this room, of course, you know, so. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, so, right, so sometimes we have this natural skepticism. Where, where does that come from? Where does that skepticism come from? Bad so, yeah, usually, usually, right, so a bad, a bad experience and kind of, kind of understanding um, how that is. So we started talking last week 
um, in Hebrews 10, and again, there's a lot in Hebrews 10, you know, where um, the author of Hebrews is you know, talking about uh, really the, the sacrificial system and how uh, the Old Testament saints you know, had to put their faith in the sacrificial system, but now we put our faith in Christ and how Christ is a better sacrifice. And really, they weren't putting their, their faith in um, the sacrifices themselves because the blood of bulls and goats cannot, you know, cannot uh, re- you know, allow for the forgiveness of sins, but only Christ can. So they're putting their faith in the promises that God will remove their sins or forgive them for what they can do. But even that, that it was temporary, and it really just set them up for a system of failure, but really setting them up for a better sacrifice, which was in Christ. And then even the author of Hebrews talked about the need for gathering together. And so what, what was that based on? It was based on faith. And, um, and so we're kind of building up to is that this idea of wanting to be confident in your faith. So we're going we're gonna, to um, kind of explore that a little bit more, what faith is and the fact that faith is a measurement of one's confidence on God's promises and uh, how, you know, how faith in Christ can grow over, uh, over time. Also, we can over time. We can talk about that in just a little bit. So why is, is confidence in faith important, right? So we understand that faith saves, there's this future aspect of salvation, what faith is, and we've, we've talked about faith, you know, in, in different studies, but we're going to examine it just a little bit more, um, what, an understanding of what faith is, but also, you know, faith is by the means of about how we live now in the present, and so there's this future aspect of faith that we're kind of holding on to um, and resting in, but there's also this measure of faith that allows us to... Um, fulfill other aspects of how God desires for us to live. And so the author of Hebrews, again, remember, is writing to a group of people who are kind of struggling. Um, they're dealing with issues in their life. I, I wouldn't necessarily say, is it, a, is it a faith issue? I mean, you could maybe boil down like it always comes down to a faith issue. But they're having these struggles in their lives, and, and those that are um, kind of allowing... Uh, things in their lives to, you know, they're, they're trying to shy away maybe from Christ um, and adopt more of a Jewish uh, traditions lifestyle. And so that's where the author of Hebrews is kind of addressing some of those things. That seems to be the issue because of what is being addressed in the, uh, in the letter. And so essentially they were making compromises in their life and they gave in to fear, right? Not the fear of God, but the fear of man. And so they were told to remember their former days. And what did we talk about the former days were last week? If I said, remember your former days, what's, what's the thing that I'm wanting you to remember? Yeah, right. And so that's kind of the biggest, again, step, right, when we go from not uh, following Christ to saying, you know, to believing and to following Christ is probably the the... the the biggest, you know, gap that we've overcome. And everything after that is kind of maybe incremental steps. And so go back to when, you know, at that point, and then you'll almost realize the things that you have been blessed with. It's almost like if we're ever feeling, um, you know, grumbling in our spirit, how, how are we supposed to respond? What's that with Thanksgiving, right? Be thankful for the things. Like, we're supposed to remember the things that we have and not the things that we don't have. And so... That's one of the things, your, our initial salvation, the thing that we had 
we everything else was really nothing in comparison. It's just over time where we tend to make those compromises in our lives. So it's very applicable for things that we're doing uh, in our own lives. So we finished with the last few verses of uh, chapter 10. So we'll start there, kind of review a couple things, and then head into 11. So verse 37 in chapter 10, we read, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, uh, how should the righteous one live? What does it say here? We kind of know this by the verse Habakkuk, and it's quoted in other places in Scripture. The righteous one shall live by what? By faith, okay? So, what causes God to have no pleasure in? What does he say? My righteous one shall live by faith, but what does God have no pleasure in? Okay? Yeah, so he, the, the word to use is to shrink back. I don't know if any other version says something differently, but um, that idea of shrinking back is to, to avoid something, to draw away from, it, from something, or even to remain silent. That's how that can be, um, can be uh, translated. And so what, what do those kind of words you know, lead you to think, right? If you're avoiding something, if you're drawing away from something, like pulling back from something, if you remain silent, what is, what is really dominating here we are. Yeah. So this idea of fear, right, is um, is characteristic of someone who shrinks back. And so God says, "My soul has no pleasure in him who shrinks back, who has fear." So we've got this idea again of this confidence within our faith, and those who shrink back, who are making these compromises. God says He has no pleasure in. And so, what are the outcomes presented of those who shrink back? And then those who have faith. What does, he, what does he say about those who shrink back in verse 39? They will be, they'll be destroyed. And those who have faith, what does he say? So these are, have eternal implications. And this is really those who, if you've ever presented the gospel to somebody and they maybe give a mental assent and they're just like, yeah, but that's, I'm not ready. I remember uh, you know, college, uh, he was a, lived in the, the room next to me in the fraternity house, and he's like, yeah, I wish I could have what you have. I understand what you're saying. I just like, I don't know. I just don't think like, it's something that I can do, right? And so this is kind of this idea of like somebody who is who's, who not, not willing to accept for whatever reason of submitting themselves to God, that's really you know, someone who is living in fear, more fear of man than fear of God, but one who would have faith, they're somebody who would preserve their soul. And so that's, that's the contrast that kind of is um, laid out for us at the end of chapter 10. And so now we get into chapter 11, it's a very iconic chapter um, of the the hall of faith, right? Those that are witnesses. And we're going to just start unpacking the way that the author kind of lays these people out. So we'll kind of take it, you know, a few verses at a time and uh, look at how faith is presented and the examples of faith and why they're presented as they are. So verse uh, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So, um, when we looked at Galatians 3, we looked at faith is, is any, all that we need for salvation and not by the works of the law. Um, but we really didn't define kind of what faith is. We just almost kind of took it for granted. So, uh, the, the, you know, the word faith is this word pistis, um, which is a word that can be translated or understood as, as something that has reliability, uh, someone's commitment to something and trust in something. So when I ask you kind of the question, like, what are things that you're kind of skeptical of? Like, those are, those are kind of the opposite of the things that we put our faith in, put our trust in, put our assurance in. It's something that is reliable and something um, that uh, describes, right, when we talk about having faith in Christ, we're putting our trust in Christ, our reliability in Christ, our faithfulness in Christ, in the promises of what he did and fulfilling what God says his actions and works can accomplish for us. And so we can sometimes translate it as belief, um, but again, I want us to think about this in the confidence that we have in God's plans and purposes for our lives. In chapter 10, the word faith or derivative faithful was used four times. In chapter 12, it's only used once, and we'll look at that right at the beginning of chapter 12. But in chapter 11, we see it seen 26 times, this word faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, is kind of how it's repeated that the, the author of Hebrews is wanting us to understand, like, people lived by faith, and for us to understand that we, too, live by faith. <clears throat> As a reminder for us, when we forget, or if we are... Um, tempted to make compromises, we don't need to because there are so many others that have, by faith, shown us as an example of confidence in the Lord. It didn't mean like perfect confidence um, all throughout their life, but through the kind of the big things, what they're known for. And that's kind of, again, how we think in in getting through day-to-day in our lives. So it describes that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Um, that word assurance, uh, when I looked up that word, it was really interesting. I hadn't kind of looked up that word before, but um, there's this, there was this debate about um, Christ being fully God and fully man, and there's this uh, theological term that describes it. It's called the hypostatic union, like meaning like how can God be fully God and fully man, and like what is Christ's essence? Like who is he? That's what that word is. It's for When we see assurance is really like what is the essence or substance of our faith. And so faith is the essence or the, the substance of the things that are hoped for. The things that we have an expectation about. Right? That's where we really live. Like all that we do when we come together is yes, we live in the present, but it's all based on something that's going to happen in the future. Our faith <coughs> might have been in the fa- it, or might have been, <coughs> Our faith is in the past, uh, maybe a moment in time where we placed our faith in Christ, but our expectation is eternity. 
Our expectation is when we are with Christ in heaven, when there is no sin, when there is, you know, a remaking of a new heavens and a new earth, you know, all of those promises we put our plate, you know, put our expectation in. And so the essence of what we believe is in that expectation. And so, so he's, that's what he says. So faith is, in essence, the things that are in expectation. And then also, he says that this conviction of things not seen. And that word conviction um, has kind of, you know, when we think of that, of a, of, of that word convict, right, having kind of a legal definition of someone declared like guilty of a law, is there is in this way this conviction is a legal kind of term meaning proof, right? When you accuse someone, uh, sometimes that word conviction is in the accusation of someone committing a crime. And so why is that kind of a good, you know, good term when you think about like even this connection with faith. When an accusation is made against some, someone for a crime, what was, when did that crime take place? Okay. And now when will the judgment take place with the accusation? In the future. So similarly, that's... that's in a way, like how we have our faith. And so our conviction is almost an accusation or a legal, um, not declaration, but a legal, uh, you know, assertion of things that we, that are, of not things, of things that are not seen. Because what, again, is our, um, even when we talk about, in the legal system, everything on a trial, again, is not the crime taking place. It's a recreation of the time of the crime taking place. And for us, so our faith is in something that had happened in the past that we personally did not see and will take in a judgment that we cannot see right now that will happen in the future. So again, our faith is a confidence in something that is still an expectation but this conviction, this assurance that we have, meaning we're willing to um, make, you know, state our case on this, that these things are going to happen, something that we cannot show, but we can only prove through other evidences. And so we'll talk in just a second about what that looks like. But when we talk about, um, you know, trying to make a case for someone's faith, what do we call that? Um, is in, in kind of a study of uh, proving one's faith. Well, evidence is what you use, but what's the, does you guys know what the, the term is? I mean, if I say it, you'll know it, but uh, <laughs> it like... making a defense for your faith. If I use it, that word, what's that called? An apologetic, yeah, okay. That's, uh, yeah, and all these things are, are true, but uh, the, like, if you took a class in apologetics, it would be, how would you reasonably defend your faith, um, or how would you reasonably uh, share your faith with somebody else using different evidences? And so you have this kind of language that's being used here, um, 
even for those that are in Hebrews, is going to start talking about different things that have happened in the past that you weren't there to see or witness, but we still have a conviction, a assurance, an, uh, an accusation. Um, accusation usually has a negative term, but this accusation or a, a testimony that these things are true, even though we weren't there in the past to see it. And, a lo- and our, our, um, you know, our uh, assurances are in the future of how we're resting in what's going to happen at this time of judgment. Meaning that we will be determined not guilty at the time of judgment based on these things that have happened in the past. And so faith is, again, living in the present with an understanding of the future promises of God. It's not seeing but strongly believing with proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, that's, again, in our legal... Um, if you guys have served in a trial, it's, you're not necessarily proving these things are true because it's almost hard to prove something is true or not. You prove beyond a reasonable doubt um, that these things are true. So, what does the author say in verse 2 that the people of old received by faith? What's that? Yeah. So he says, for it, right, for this conviction, for this faith, for this assurance, right, the people of old, meaning like Old Testament saints, those that are in the past, received their commendation. And so that word is Marturio, which we get the word martyr from, and again, it's what are who's a martyr? A martyr is somebody who dies typically. That's usually the term where we where we use it. Has died for their faith, for their testimony, or their witness, their attestation, or their confirmation. So, what were the people of old received their um, witness for? They were elevated or known for their faith. Why do we know certain? You know, people in Scripture, it's because how they lived their life and how they lived by faith or even sometimes without faith. And so, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is kind of almost the first apologetic that, uh, that the author is making. Why do you think verse 3 is such an important statement? Yeah, and some would would um, you know I, I I can't remember how many weeks I taught. It was way back when, like ten years ago, I taught an apologetics course. Um, it was probably like twelve weeks or something of apologetics. You know, there's all these different like, evidences that you can um, you can use to kind of like you know prove God. And we we talk about like you know can you prove God and all those things. So it's 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 interesting to to kind of think about all the things that are about that. Some would look at, like, is their starting point would look at, you know, evidences and the things that, you know, in creation, right? Romans kind of you know, says, like, you know, well, the Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God, and Romans would say that, you know, by looking at all the things that they created, like, people have twisted that and worshiped the created and not the creator. And so... Um, and they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. But, you know, the author here is saying, right, if you look at just the world that exists right now, I mean, if you look at this cup, you would say either somebody made this 
or it just came into being, right? Um, and it was either made by things that are already exist, or it came into existence from out of existence, right? There's, have you ever heard of the philosophical um, like belief, or how do how, how do we know that um, we all didn't just come into existence like a moment ago? And everything that we thought had just happened has already been implanted in us as memories. It's like, and if you didn't get that, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, how do you prove, right, that like we all weren't just created? Because we would look to our past, but our past is a memory, and a memory is just something that is. So how do we, if we say that that memory was already implanted within us, then, you know, anyway. So, uh, so. That would be a, that would be a, an example of like we just came into being, um, and weren't made out of something previous, and so our past just came into existence um, in the present. So, how do most people look at how the world was created? Well, I guess you could just start spitballing, like, what, uh, you know, what are different ways that people see that this, this world is cr- has been created? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, was that a small bang to get a bigger? Okay, it's a big old bang. So... Right, and so, so if you look at that theory, right, the, the Big Bang is, and then the universe is expanding, and that at some point it'll compress and expand and compress. And so the, what's the question that you're left with? Right? Matt, and so that's based off of, like, you know, something that we would hold true is that matter is neither created nor destroyed currently, except there is one who can create. We would say well, there is somebody who can create matter or destroy matter. And that's God, right? So either the, either the universe has always been self-existence, or at some point, there had to be a first creator. And you can always go back and say, well then, who created the first creator? And at some point, someone or something has to be self-existence. But is it, is it, is it, uh, is it more reasonable for a creator to be self-existent or matter to be self-existent? And everything has just kind of come into being based on that that matter, right? And you've got a whole bunch of different like creation theories based on that. So, so where do yeah? So that's I know get you yeah. Maybe maybe before you've had enough coffee to kind of kind of think about these things. So I'm not going to go you know 12 hours in, or however many hours I spent doing apologetics. But right, this is kind of this is kind of like where the author of Hebrews. I mean, you just think like were people thinking about this back then? Yeah, I mean, there was a whole bunch of uh, you know Greeks that were talking about how the world came into existence and what you know why we live and why. We do. We're supposed to live, you know, denying ourselves of pleasure. And, oh, no, this philosopher says, no, we're supposed to indulge ourselves in pleasure. And then this other one's like, no, we should live in moderation. And, no, you know, the world is, you know, only based on things that we can see. No, the world is based on things that we can't see. You know, so there's all these philosophies, all these things. And so this, the, the author says, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that's how we understand, going back to Genesis 1, as you guys said, that that's how everything came into being. We didn't you know, believe in any other creation event. That's how we believe that everything was created by God's word, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Everything just came into being. It's an important like apologetic. Like, yeah, that's what we believe. And we explain like other creation you know, 
um, uh, accounts, we would say like ours is pretty reasonable even from just a we take it by faith, right? Because that's often the thing that we're accused for. Like we have our hope, we have our belief in something that is fanciful, that is like, you know, um, something that is, you know, coping for whatever things in our life like, you know, we've been missing out on. That's why we need God to like be a part of us. Like, well, let's just start with like the world and how it was made. You know, we believe that it's from the Word of God. What do you believe, right? I think we're all on, um, I think we, we can stand on pretty solid ground just based on that. But God wants us to go, like, further than that on what we place our hope and expectations in. So it's good to put our hope in a God who has made all of creation just by the Word of His mouth. And that seems, again, not only reasonable, but something that um, there's evidence for. Verse 4 Continuing on, we see, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So uh, who do we notice is missing? In this story, like we see kind of where we first jump to. And if we think of Genesis, who's missing? Yeah. And so, because Adam, (laughs) Adam's not known for his faith. I mean, he named the animals and did, you know, some of these other things. But what was he more known for? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. And so if we put it kind of in terms of faith, in trust in God and His promises, He's known more not for His trust in God's promises, but what? Yeah, His lack of trust in God's promises, right? And so so the author of Hebrews is like, we're just going to skip Adam and Eve uh, for that. And so not an example of faith, but almost the opposite. So going to, to Abel, so why was Abel's sacrifice based on faith? Because that's what he says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. He offered a blood sacrifice. Came in. Yeah. And we can go debate like the, um, you know, the details of like the reasons why his was more acceptable. But what was, um, you know, so why was it though by faith that his, that it was accepted? Yeah, and it's, at what point, like, how would they know that their sacrifice was accepted or not? Like, let's just say, I don't know, you're, you know, somebody special in your life makes you breakfast in bed. How would you know, like, that was something that you, you know, that that person wanted or not? What's that? He gave his best. 
Well, that's true, right? So how would they know? That's what, so the question is, is how is it given by faith? Um, because there's also like silence, right? Did they know what they were supposed to be supposed to give? And people debate that, you know, like, of course, Adam or Eve would have been told and they would have told Cain and Abel. But we don't know that necessarily. But how do they how do we know at least that Abel's um, sacrifice was good and Cain's was not? OK, now we're, we're inferring the why. But how do we know that one was accepted and one was not? Cause, yeah, because God told them, right? So, yeah. So, yes, all the things that you're saying are true, right? That was my, this was my first paper in, uh, in seminary was why was Cain's uh, sacrifice and not Abel's um, sacrifice? You know, it was like, I was like, is that like actually a thing? And so then you read and you're like, oh, there's people all over the map. So I'm on a side that not everyone else takes, um, but um, I'm okay with that. So, again, I don't want to debate those merits, which would be fun to debate, but just uh, this, uh, on, the, on the surface, what do we understand is that, yeah, so the whole breakfast in bed thing was like, somebody is like, hey, thanks, <laughs> or, you know, get that out of here. I don't know. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, who made it? What is that? So, yeah. So, um, so was it accepted? We knew it was accepted because um, in Genesis it said, you know, God had regard. And for Cain, he turned his face away. And he had no regard. That's kind of the, the implications of there. So it was like there was a understanding in that moment. Cain knew he was, he was disregarded and Abel knew he was regarded. And then there's this moment that God's like, hey, Cain, so we're not going to get into that, but um, it, there was something that was clearly understood. Yes, the why, was it blood, or was it because he didn't give his best, or, you know, those are like the things that we can debate or not. But we at least know at surface, like, what's that? Okay, so I'll tell you the, the, the two different, like, views. Is one is Abel gave a blood sacrifice and Cain did not. And so the reason was, is, is it wasn't a blood sacrifice, which has a very strong support with like leading up to Christ, you know, blood, you know, blood and being our covering and atonement for sin. Okay, so that's the other, the other side is that God knew their heart. And so, so one gave the best out of what they had and the other didn't. So it was the deficiency in what he gave. And there's support in the Old Testament, even in like Malachi of like the priest being, um, you know, warned, like, why are you giving sacrifices to God that are, you wouldn't even give to your governor? And so, so those are the, the two camps. You could debate whether you want. What's that? In Malachi, yes. In Cain and Abel, is that what you're asking? Yes. So in Genesis, um, Abel, uh, the regard was given, no regard was given to Cain. So what did that look like? We're not exactly sure. But they both knew, because Cain was jealous, right? Cain was jealous of Abel. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, there's always things that like, well done, you know, Abel, or... Yeah. Or did it, like, go up and smoke, and then, you know, the other one, like, just rotted. I don't know. Flies. I don't know. You know, so, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, just using these terms and, like, yeah. So, 
What's that? <laughs> I'm on the right side. No. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that happen. I've I've preached something and it's like, you know you're wrong and I'm like, no no no. Anyway, I mean it's it's not about wrong. Like I would say any given day I'm like, I mean there's merits to both sides, right? <laughs> Mine's the heart. The heart and not not the blood. So that's that's where that's where I was. But I understand, I understand. Just like you know, when we get to like end time stuff, I mean, like I land in in a particular place, but I understand where people are and otherwise. But that's that's me. I'm I'm a um, I'm a peacemaker. So, but I understand. I could say you're wrong, but I, you know, I understand. So, and I could be wrong. So we'll find out. If yeah, if you want to go back and and look, do you want to read the verse just while we're there? So we. Of depression. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, and sometimes arguments are made from silence. He didn't say, you know, just bring me meat next time. You know, like that would have been clear on like, oh, okay, so it was a meat sacrifice. But if he's like, you do what's right. So there are those things that like, that's why I lean towards the heart. But I understand those that take the, the blood sacrifice. And so anyway, um, you want to read it? We're going to hash this out now. So, okay. <laughs> And you're like, man, you, what does well mean? What do, you know? So that's why it's one of those like debated, debated. That's right, exactly. Right. So you know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think. Uh, God is not for vegans. I mean, that's clearly what it's saying, right? <laughs> I mean, clearly that's what we've seen. So, anyway, um, yeah, that's why I lean there. And again, so. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there's kind of a distinction there between not so much fruits of soil versus fruits of the flock, but the fact that it seems to imply that what Abel brought was the best yeah. of his, of whatever he had at his disposal to bring, he brought the fattest and best of that, whereas Cain just brought some. So 
I'm not trying to come down hard one way or the other on blood or versus heart, but it's but it is it is a. I just want to point that out that that bit of commentary is. Agreed. Agreed. So this is where I land. But anyway. Um, So, uh, so, so again, going back to like, why is it based on faith? We, you know, didn't know again whether they would be regarded. We know again why they were regarded, or at least you know um, that there was an opportunity to be able to be commended or to have his countenance lifted up. And so, um, but they didn't know until God responded. And so that was kind of early on, like as a paradigm for what we're going to see a little bit later. Um, and it says that Abel still speaks now, which is kind of interesting, right? And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Um, how is it that Abel still speaks? Word of, <clears throat> Word of God, yeah. I mean, and what do we just do? We just spent some time talking about it, right? And so why was his... And I think there is some, some you know, something about that, right? You know... When we give to, to God, God doesn't, you know, I mean, the New Testament say that God loves a cheerful giver, right? We don't want to give reluctantly. And so there's, there's those aspects of what we see. And so um, Abel speaks almost because of his death, we understand this, this, this event even more so, plus some other implications with that. So then he moves on from Cain and Abel, and he talks about Enoch. Um, again, only a couple of verses uh, about Enoch. Well, what do we know about Enoch? He died. Uh, yeah, it's like those Bible trivia things. And so, but I mean, the verses, though, are even couched in a little bit of like vague language. You know, I wouldn't say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with that word. So, so in verse, in chapter 5, verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Like, that's it. You know, we've kind of translated that and said, you know. And even, even the author of Hebrews um, takes kind of a translation, like this is from the Hebrew, but the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation, translate this walked with God. How does, how does the author of Hebrews describe his relationship with God? Yeah, so before he was taken, he was commended, right? There's that commendation, that witness, um, as having pleased God. And you're almost like, well, how did he please God? But this idea that he walked with God, it was this person was born, he had this child, then he died. He had this person born, then he had this child, then he died. And that was the description. Then for Enoch, it was like this, then he walked with God. And so this walking with God is not like a literal walking. Why? Because we're no longer in the garden, so this walking with God is this idea of, you know, how walking would have been understood. And even in like, you know, Psalm 1 of, uh, you know, the righteous person walking in the ways of the Lord is walking with God as in following the Lord. And the author of Hebrews is even saying kind of even pleasing God in doing what God desires. So putting his faith and trust in God. Um, and that's kind of how he's described. And so how is, how is Enoch's life an example of faith? hard to tell from just these verses, but what did I kind of say, like, how the descriptions were of everyone else? Yes, 
So you have Adam and Eve, and so Enoch's about six generations below, and you have Cain and Abel, and then you have like just a bunch of other generations, and they lived, you know, a couple hundred years, and then they died. And they lived a couple hundred years, you know, and then they died. And so, um, so far, like, after the fall, it seems like, you know, it's like only five generations, but if you think about that in our own lives, I mean, it's like several hundred years. I hadn't added up the years. It could be like probably close to 750 years because they lived a lot longer. Um, but uh, after that time, it's like, well, you know, we blew it with God, but Enoch still obeyed God. And whatever that looked like, we don't know how that looked like. I mean, there was no law. There was no, you know, nothing said about the sacrificial system or, you know, following in Abel's footsteps. He just walked with God. He, and, and whatever he did, he pleased God. And so how did God respond? It says he took him. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say, again, that's it. I mean, we have this idea of, is it like Elijah? But he took him. He, he died, you know, he, or he did not die, he, like, like the others. He, it was described as something different. And so Enoch's example of faith is like, well, everyone else isn't following God, and we're just kind of like left to our own, but he's like, you know what? He's walking with God. And so that was the example of walking with God and pleasing God, and there was a response by God, by God rewarded him by not seeing death, by just taking him. And so we'll have to find out what all that looks like a little bit later. Um, so walking with God and pleasing Him, right, can be something that's only done by faith. And specifically, again, since we're not in the garden, we don't have that, like, personal, physical relationship. Like, walking with God could have actually been maybe a manifestation of God in the garden because they were without sin. But now with sin, no one can be in the presence of God. So we know that that's not a physical thing. So everything has to be done by faith, right? All relationships that we know are built on trust and maintaining, right, a belief that the other person stays true to who you understand they are, right? And so that's, again, our understanding as followers of Christ. We, we believe that God exists, and that we um, are placing our trust that He rewards those who seek Him and walk with Him. All right, final one. What aspect of faith did Noah exhibit? So he built the ark, right? And we know that, right? So he built the ark. But what, what, what measure of faith, um, trust in God's promise is, is He showing? Okay. Yeah. It was a rather excessive one. I feel like the Ark experience does a good job if you've ever been to Kentucky of like kind of, you know, painting that picture a little bit. Um, but what did, you know, what was, what was the kind of the measure that, that really Noah put his trust in? He did build an ark. He did know that it was going to rain. But what was that rain? What was the purposes of the rain? To cleanse the earth, right? So he judged the earth. And we looked at like Noah's example of, I can't remember what chapter that was, if our, it was like our fourth chapter or fifth chapter or something like that, um, early on in our study, however many years ago. Um, that was the example, right, of judgment. So we see, again, um, we've got this idea of like, how do we please God? 
What does it look like a walking God? This is an aspect of judgment that Noah placed his faith in, right? Even just building the ark sounds ridiculous. I mean, you just like, so he built an ark, 120 years, right? Like to us right now, to people of our age, like, do you guys really believe that? And so that sounds ridiculous. Do you think it was any different back then? It was going to be more ridiculous back then. Like, we're in an area that doesn't have rain. We're not near an ocean. You're building an ark. It seems like ridiculous. Like, even more ridiculous, Noah. When was it not ridiculous? When it started raining. When it started raining, it started flooding. Like, then, right? The idea, you believe in a God that, like, believes in judgment? You got to believe in a God that, like, there's a hell? Like, you, like, that's pretty, like, harsh. That's pretty, right? When, like, so our understanding of that is, is based on faith. When is that not ridiculous? When there is judgment, right? And, and the cost of that is just, I mean, again, when we talk about, you know, Noah and the ark, like, there should be, like, not a happy kind of, like, animals and, you know, on the boat and sunshine and the dove flying, right? It should be, like, dark clouds, ominous, drowning, you know, judgment. Like, that was what it was in the past. God promised he will not do it again, but there will be a judgment in the future, Noah's example of faith was that there would be a judgment. And so that was kind of his, his understanding of that, right? So when we, we kind of think and step back, right, of just like in these first few verses, we're going to you know, do a lot more, is this idea of kind of like even just apologetics and this defense of the faith, right? The author of Hebrews starts off by saying, you know, where did the world come from? We believe it was God, right? God was our creator, is our creator, and that God exists. And our role as creation is to please God. And so pleasing God results in rewards, walking with God, being obedient. That's like example. There's a reward for that. And so we looked at this again when we looked at Genesis 3 and like the law and the works of the law. Like there's obedience and, and reward. And there's also disobedience, which results in judgment. And judgment is serious. and something that we understand. And so how do we, you know, nobody can really prove God exists nor prove that God doesn't exist, right? We take all of these things on faith. And so these things actually help in strengthening our beliefs, right? Because these aren't even the things that, like, matter the most to us. Well, we, what matters most to us in our faith is in, you know, God coming to earth, being sacrificed on a cross, being resurrected three days later. We're not even in there. But even just these other examples give a reasonableness to everything that we believe and build confidence for us and also a way of sharing our faith for others. And we're just going to build that, right? God wants us to, to continue building that confidence that we have in our faith. And we'll continue as we look at other examples in Scripture as we go through um, the other examples given in chapter 11. All right, so any questions, any comments, thoughts?